Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Benjamin Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands and dust off your broomsticks and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 11, Quidditch. Ooh. Excellent intro today. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really top top shelf. Yeah, I really tried to, um, you know, hone in on my... um, my introduction, my host voice. No, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I could tell. Yeah, you've been working mm-hmm. on it clearly. Right, yes. Clearly. Beth, last night I've been reading, as you know, I've been reading Harry Potter to my son, Luke, and like I came downstairs and she was like, I just wanted to tell you, I heard you doing like McGonagall's voice and I was like really impressed. Like you sounded really good. And I was like, well, thank you. Wow. Uh, me, McGonagall. That, that is well, high praise. I know. I was like, you almost went out of your way to tell me that. So thank you so much. And now um, feel, I'll, I'll see if I can summon it the next time McGonagall has a line in the book because I realized I just set myself up for total failure. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, this wait is, a minute. It's like night, night. Hold on. <laughs> Would you like to demonstrate for us? Or uh, <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Are you sweating? All just know or? that my wife is impressed with me. Yeah, there we go. There yeah, we go. my wife thinks I'm cool. There you go. That's, yeah. yep, that's a good T-shirt. That's a good T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, No, that being said, yeah, uh, chapter 11, the chapter that is Quidditch. Quidditch. um, I personally find to be a spectacular chapter. Um, It it does a really uh, splendid job of of both progressing. Well, let me back that up. I would say it does a really splendid job of telling a Quidditch match, making it fun and engaging for us, the reader, mm-hmm. while also progressing the plot. It does. So yeah, I, it does. I think that's the that's the proper order to deliver that in. Yeah, and the chapter, sort of like last week, the chapter is broken up into two sections. Basically, the front half is Snape takes Harry's Quidditch book and Harry tries to get it back, and then we just have the Quidditch match. Yeah, so th- this chapter in particular, I think, is... is um, the other thing I would say about it is that it is slightly heavy-handed to the tune of... Like, it, it had never really occurred to me until we read it through, like, in this way before, because normally, I mean, I mean, if you just read, um, I mean, you can finish this book in usually like four hours or something. Yeah, like that. I mean, if you, if you really wanted to, this is an easy book to finish in one day. So yeah, not, the fact that we're taking 17 weeks to do it, you know, no big deal. Yeah, no. So, but, but I would say the thing that I've noticed is that like up until this point, we know that like Snape clearly doesn't like Harry. He's clearly kind of like, you know, like needled him a couple of times. First day of class. There's like the moment with like the, the scar hurting, you know, that type of thing. But yeah. um, for the most part, up until this point, though, we haven't had lots of other super major incidents where um, we're like kind of led to believe that Snape is like that nefarious. Like maybe he doesn't like Harry, but this is the chapter that's sort of like point your suspicion at Snape. Yeah, yeah. Like, they definitely really try and paint Snape as the bad guy. Like last chapter, he like, you know, was headed towards the third floor corridor and it's like, oh, and then maybe he was limping a little bit. But what is that enough to like cast suspicion on him or anything? Maybe just a little, but now it's getting, yeah, very like, look at Snape, look at Snape. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- th- this feels like the chapter where, where um, like, the sleight of hand is really occurring, and I would say not even so sleight of hand. It's sort of like... Harry at this point in time is actively being interfered with uh, and, and even the fact that the chapter leads with like this little segment of Harry being out on the grounds and you know like reading from you know Quidditch through the ages and losing five points from Gryffindor and then like you know Harry being like well I'm going to go try to get my book back and discovering uh, Snape receiving bandages from Filch of all Oh people. my gosh yeah well, yeah we'll we'll get back to that part because that was so stupid like especially like this this uh, many parts about this chapter I feel like did not age well as like maybe more of the world became established. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. anyway, well, let's, let's do our normal thing. We can we can kind of skate through the chapter as we go. Yeah. Uh, pick out all the stuff that kind of stands out to us and analyze as we do. So, we will. so I mean, first paragraph, Ben, Hagrid could be seen from the upstairs windows defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field. <laughs> if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're, yeah, nothing about this sentence to me makes sense. One, it sounds like Hagrid's doing magic, which you should not be allowed to do. Two, why are there broomsticks just left willy-nilly on the Quidditch field? Three, even if that's the case, why aren't you just bringing them inside? Like, not what what is going on? <laughs> yeah, why, why would the why would the, I mean this goes back to our question from earlier, uh, from from last week where we talked about like the um, the up thing. Yeah, you know, it's almost like like is there some type of uh, ceremony attached to the game of Quidditch wherein the night before all players go and like drop their broomsticks in the place that they intend to you know like the, like take off from 
from or something like that? Like, why why would they be all left outside? Yeah, no, I don't. I have no idea. To me, it just sounds like out on the Quidditch field, there's a rack of brooms that students can come just grab or something. Maybe, maybe they're just like the yeah. school brooms. But even then, like even later on, I think even in this book, there's like a, a section where it's like there's a broom shed. Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Yeah, is I mean the other thing is that like broomsticks are made of wood, um, right? And like the idea of leaving anything wood related. So this is the thing like the people maybe don't understand about wood in general is that like wood doesn't rot simply from water exposure. It rots when it's exposed to water and then dry temperatures and then water and then dry temperatures over and over and over again. But if you sink a log underwater, it doesn't decay. It's like this is how you get like petrified wood. Right. Is from wa- wood wood all, just sustaining underwater. Also, presumably, all of these broomsticks are like very intentionally made as broomsticks for flight and have some amount of like impervious charms on them yes. so that they would not be subject to the elements. I, you it, know, magic is at play, people. Right, right. I, Hagrid. I, I'm curious, and I can't remember if this is a characteristic of the firebolts or not, but maybe it's got like an anti-icing oh, does spell it? on it. I it, think so for like high altitudes. For high altitudes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I believe it. I think it does, but I would have to I would have to fact check myself on that one. Um, th- it also brought about, I, I just because I was thinking about the, because um, I highlighted the exact same sentence, um, yeah. because I was thinking about broomsticks, it reminded me of a video we made once upon a time that was whether or not broomsticks have cores in the same way that uh, wands wands do. do. Yeah. And I believe the conclusion that we came down to is they almost certainly need to um, have a core inside of them unless the enchantment is just something else entirely. But it, it feels like you're kind of channeling your magic through the broomstick a little bit. I think right like otherwise it's just what a piece is, of wood but like I mean but like then there's the up thing though it's like Harry th- says they're more like horses or something that's a good point yeah they can like sense fear which does sound like wands like wands have a certain like um like intelligence or sentience about them yeah so that kind of sounds like it so it was yeah that that sounds uh, pretty plausible to me that they would have some kind of core because otherwise like is it just that wizards could pick up any stick with bristles on it and fly <laughs> that's the question because yeah. i mean in like what we know and i think what olivander tells us is that in in, in uh, deathly hallows rather i think is that like technically a um uh, a witch or wizard could channel their magic through any object yeah but like wands in particular are that much more capable of doing it and, and establish like a, like an ongoing relationship with the wizard themselves. Um, but to me, what that says, you know, like if, if James Potter's wand again is, is made of mahogany and it's just a stick of mahogany, then it's just a stick. It doesn't have like the, the otherwise infused magical property that comes from the wand core. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it takes both to sort of like determine it as like a magical object. And so I, in my mind, the logic stands to reason with a broomstick. It's the same way. Like, you know, I mean, you could go and pick up any, you know, like, like, yeah, like broom from like, like a muggle broom, for yeah, example. Yeah. You could know? they just pick up any muggle broom and fly on it? it? It seems like on some level, like you, you maybe could, it would be highly inefficient or like maybe like it couldn't even get you like physically off the ground, but like maybe you could channel like, a little bit of lift right sure through it or something you like, could that. like hover or something right right yeah, yeah. um so I, anyway i mean not that it really matters one way or another but i like to think that yeah that there's that there's cores tucked inside of the broomsticks i like the, yeah i yeah. like that headcanon as well uh just moving just a little bit down the page there it mentions uh a harry's nervous about the upcoming match and it says if gryffindor won they would move up into second place in the house championship which is like an interesting sentence to me because so they're against Slytherin and if they beat Slytherin, they'll move up into second behind who because like it is established that Slytherin is typically the, is like at the end of the year Slytherin, Slytherin is, has been has the, the most points. Cup. They've yeah. won the cup the last seven years in a row. So it's like presumably if they beat Slytherin, they'll move into second place behind Slytherin. I, I mean, I guess it's possible Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw is in first at this point. I, I, yeah, I suppose yeah. that is possible. It's still early in the year. I mean, we're just yeah. inside of November, I think, at this point in time. But either way, either way, it doesn't. It also is uh, curious because later on, like the specific amounts that you win by like matter more to the house championship. So it's like if we win, no matter what, we'll move up into second. Whereas if we lose, we won't because it sounds like if you like later on, there's like this whole chapter where it's like we need to be winning by 50 points 
but or maybe I don't know. But then this is in relation to the house championships. It's like, do you get as many points for the house as you score in the game? That's the thing. Yeah, is that it seems like it seems like that would weight the house cup drastically towards whichever team had the best Quidditch or whichever house had the best Quidditch team. Because you know, even even at the end of the, the book, I think that like, you know, Slytherin has approximately 600 points, which is like what um, Harry, Ron, Hermione and Neville are able to like overcome and, and take over yeah. with the win. But like if you win each, if you win three Quidditch matches, that alone, just by catching the snitch, is 450 points. Right. Which, so that doesn't like, feel right. That doesn't feel right. I guess, right, okay, yeah. okay. Here's what must be happening. Okay. Is that either at this point, Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw, I guess even Slytherin could be winning. It doesn't matter. That Gryffindor is presently in third place at the moment. In the house championship. In the house championship. And that by winning a Quidditch match, you earn a set number of points that is unrelated to how many points you actually score on the pitch on the pitch okay. for the house championship. Whereas then the Quidditch cup matters how many points you actually scored in the game. But I think that that's more of like a tiebreaker type of situation, which okay. like with only 14 sure. seems plausible. Yeah, there's only six matches all year, right? Yeah, so, so it seems it seems like so maybe it's like if Gryffindor wins Gryffindor house will just get 50 points for having one for having one. Okay, yeah, yeah something I mean, like that. We, we don't know that for for a verified fact, but that to me that seems like the best interpretation yeah. of the information we have a set number that will move them into second place. So they're losing by whatever the difference is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. All right. All right. We've 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 we figured that out. I think I think uh, let's see. Next up, Harry has uh, Quidditch through the ages, which fun fact is another like you can actually buy Quidditch through the ages. I think we had a, a copy of it when we were kids. We did. Yeah. So yeah. back in like the way, way, way back when version, there was both a copy. Uh, there were these like little like leaflet looking books. They were yeah. kind of small, but we had both the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt's Commander. And then we also had Quidditch through the ages, um, which is written by. Oh, I, I thought it was in the book here somewhere anyway, but it, I don't I, I can't remember exactly who it is offhand. But uh, we did have both of these books as kids, and it was kind of it was kind of fun and interesting, just to, like leaf through it. And obviously now in the in the present day, there's like much more bona fide versions of both yes, of there are. Books. But I remember thinking that like even as kids, that like when we got these sort of like leaflet versions of the books, because like uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is one of Harry's textbooks, and it was always like Hermione read all of their textbooks cover to cover, and I was like, oh my gosh, what? Like I don't think I ever read every page of a textbook I owned ever. But then it was like, oh, 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 oh wizard textbooks are like thirty pages long, <laughs> and they're like on paperback. Like, oh, well, okay, Hermione's not seeming so impressive all of a sudden. Right, right, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's if anything, the other students is like, guys, they're like thirty pages. Yeah, like uh, guys, come on, you could knock out like the entire course, the entire first years worth of textbooks in like an afternoon if you really tried. Right, yeah, just just crack those books open, a little crack bit. them in, yeah. guys. Um, either way, I did I did underline the seven hundred ways of committing a Quidditch foul. Yeah, uh, just because I thought that was a fun fact. Oh, on, on Quidditch through the ages, this was my original thought. I remember when Fantastic Beasts was announced as a film series yeah is I was like oh does that mean that like the next one will be Quidditch through the ages like like for whatever reason that is like the only thing that made sense to me is that like because those two books came out together and one of them is now a movie and how great would it be to have like a Wizarding World sports movie that would be really cool yeah I would be all in for like the like the ultimate underdog story I know of like the yeah like I mean I've been watching uh, Welcome to Wrexham yeah. you know about like sort of like League 5 uh, if like you know like Welsh football, right? Sure, you yeah. know English football, uh, where they're like a like a like a sub league, the Champions League, I think is what it's called. Um, and you know, like they're they're trying to like get promoted and and work their way up the you know the ladder and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd be all for Quidditch through the ages, yeah, like like film series. I know, like we don't even need you don't even need it to be like some crazy dark wizard, big world threatening problem or anything. Just like just, just it's just a sports epic. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just about it's like Miracle on Ice, but 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 brooms in hail. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Or we can just call it Quidditch through the Ages. That's Quidditch through the Ages. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, we get the the reference in Quidditch through the Ages that, um, let's see here, most serious Quidditch accidents seem to happen to Seekers in particular, which I feel like they really like harken on. Yeah. Um, which, as we know, as Harry goes through his, uh, through his years of playing Quidditch, he certainly does sustain some injuries, but they almost, they, they don't always really seem Quidditch related necessarily he just gets harmed I mean, even in this very chapter like someone is actively trying to buck him 
off of his broom. Yeah, like he never, like he rarely gets injured in Quidditch because of the game. It's like because of interference. Because of, yeah, because then you yeah, know, ne- because next- Dementor show up, or, or because the Bludger is literally cursed to hunt him. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but then we get the uh, let's see here. Uh, people rarely died playing Quidditch. Referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> what I think is interesting is like, like they didn't say there was an instance where a referee showed up years later or, or months later in the Sahara Desert. It's just like when they vanish, they go to the <laughs> Sahara Desert. It's like it's happened on multiple occasions. Referees have disappeared and shown up in the Sahara Desert. We don't know how it happens. We don't know how it happens. Yeah, um, it's uh, that to me reads like whoever was like whatever whoever was making them disappear was the the same culprit over and over. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, I, it's it, not just like Sahara Desert spell. <laughs> Get out of here, ref. <laughs> so, Okay. 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 And he's gone. And why not? Why not? Yep. Um, then we get our first glimpse of Hermione's uh, like bright blue bell um, flame, which yep. I feel like she uses, uh, I think, on numerous occasions throughout the saga. Yeah, she absolutely does. Yeah, it's still like one of her little signature spells here. It is uh, baffling to me that like they're they just have a little fire outside. One that if it's so cold that they are outside. Why not just go inside? Like they're just standing. They're not even standing talking. They're all standing, not facing each other with their backs to the fire. <laughs> um, but then there also says like they were sure it wouldn't be allowed. And I'm like, why, why would it not be allowed at a school of magic to have a little magic fire? Well, I, I mean, you're not supposed to have like do magic in the corridors. We know that from like the very beginning. So, I guess. I mean, this is outside, but this is like one of those things where it's like it's like, yeah, it, it really does seem like using magic almost just about anywhere is pretty much forbidden. Yeah, like, excuse me, unless you are learning how to do the magic, don't do it. Yeah, either in the comfort of your own homes as a trained adult or in class, but that's it. That's it, which I know sounds ridiculous, but that's also probably like like driving a car. It's like you can either do it while you're training specifically or like as a licensed adult, like li- yeah. a licensed adult. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. to be fair, I guess that actually does track um, either which way. Yeah, so they're not supposed to they're not supposed to have it, which I guess demonstrates just a little bit that Hermione is like kind of a bit more open to bending the rules. I guess so. Yeah, it does say that too, that she uh, was uh, her mind had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules since Harry and Ron had saved her from the mountain troll and she was much nicer for it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. Um, after that, though, we, we do get the discovery that like Snape, Snape is uh, specifically limping uh, and, and they're kind of like, oh, I wonder what's 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 going on with that, um, which then obviously promptly comes up like two and a half paragraphs later uh, where Harry is back up in the Gryffindor common room and he's just like, man, I really just want to like distract myself with some good old fashioned Quidditch through the ages. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It's just this whole thing seems contrived. It's like Harry was outside and Snape came and took his book. Harry wanted his book back, so he came and discovered Snape. Contrived is the right word. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's set up specifically just so that Harry has a like this. This feels like the bit that like like it's just like hmm. How do I kind of progress this go like this this plot forward a little bit? I've got it. I know we need <laughs> Harry to be really suspicious of Snape. So what if he sees him trying to fix his wounds and then it's like yeah. So he. Harry walks in trying to get uh, the book back. <laughs> God, the, I love Harry going up to the staff room. knocks, no one's there, and he's like, "Perhaps Snape had left the book in there." I was like, "Why? Sure, okay." Yeah, this, yeah. I, I remember there <laughs> being like a teachers' try. lounge, you know, going through like elementary school and yeah. stuff like that. Like the, I, I don't even know if I ever knew where they were, but I feel like the existence of the of the lounge itself was yeah. like, you know. Like, yeah, that's some like mythical, magical place, right? But the other thing, too, to me about Hogwarts in particular is that, near as I can tell, all of the professors just simply live in the castle. Yeah. And so the idea of them ever going to like the teacher's lounge just seems maybe it's not that far fetched. Like, you know, you got to go and have a place to have a cup of Job or something. Yeah, somewhere to microwave your fish lunch. (laughs) 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 Okay. All right. Now, here's a question Which Hogwarts professor is microwaving fish lunch? Oh, my gosh. Who is it? That's Trelawney, you know. Trelawney <laughs> she just, like, comes down from the tower and is like, "Hello." I said it would using the microwave. It's like everyone's like, "We don't even have a microwave, Sybil." Yeah. 
<laughs> Electronics don't work here. McGonagall is just like, like I, I could see McGonagall knowing that there is a microwave in the teacher's lounge and actively hating it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who put this here? And, uh, no, no, I'm not having it. I'm not having Mm-mm. it. Anyway, when what Harry discovers upon entering the teacher's lounge um, is that Snape and Filch are in there alone mm-hmm. and uh, Snape is holding his robe above his knees and Filch is handing him bandages. Yeah. Even the fact that Snape is like openly talking to Filch saying, how are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once? It's like, I'm like, there is no, this doesn't sound like Snape at all. This is the least Snape sentence I've ever heard. I ever. know like nothing, like nothing about this sentence Nothing about the situation to me makes sense. One, that Snape and Filch are hanging out together at all. There you go. It's already weird if Harry just walked in and it was Snape and Filch. Be like, "Ah, what do you think about the students today? (laughs) I hate them again. I do. (laughs) Like, they're just not hanging out. such best buds. I know. Two, that specifically what they're doing is changing Snape's bandages in the staff lounge of all places. Like, why why are they doing this in Snape's office or whatever? Because, like, he's clearly trying not to be seen, and this is a place where any teacher could walk in. Right. Alternatively, just simply the hospital wing. Well, I, I guess you could argue he doesn't want, like, the injury to be discovered by maybe the other teachers or something and like Madame Pomfrey would know then you think in the teacher's lounge is the best place to keep that's exactly what I'm saying yeah, though it's, it's like yeah I mean I, I mean I understand where you're coming from but just yeah I, I yeah mean, just I don't, I don't think so there's that okay. on top of that that like later I mean this is another one of those situations where it's like maybe the world just wasn't as established yet or something but like later on when uh, Harry hits Draco with Sectumsempra this like dark magic spell that like slices him with a sword Snape arrives on the scene and is able to heal the spell like instantly and this is like, like a dark magic spell like at once with his wand is able to like save Draco's life. This is Snape is suffering a dog bite apparently for several days and hasn't been able to heal it like himself magically like uh, either uh, well, Snape did invent Sectumsempra, so maybe I, he knows the counter curse. I suppose you could argue that he knows the counter curse, but like Snape seems like a good enough wizard that he could heal a simple like bite wound. He is who Dumbledore goes to even after the um, he puts on the the Horcrux. Yeah, he ring. knows how to do that. Yeah. He knows how to solve that. So so there's that. All I can all I can assume, all I can surmise from this is that uh, Fluffy's like bite contains some sort of like absolutely horrendous venom in it. Ooh, you know, kind of like, like basilisky exactly like basilisky or like Nagini or something because ah, like um, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Weasley yeah. gets bit by Nagini and it's like, yeah, he's like injured for a while until they can finally figure out how to heal it back up and that's healers at St. Mungo's people yeah. whose actual career is like specifically doing that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that. So that that is my new. That's the only thing that makes sense to me is that if fluffy bites you, it is like more than it is like a cursed bite of it's like of a bad sorts. Bite. Yeah, I bet Newt could do it. Newt's yeah. Commander. Oh. Well, of yeah, course, Newt yeah, could do it. Okay, Newt's theory, the man. Yeah. But he's in retirement. So anyway, um, so Snape obviously gets extremely mad uh, at Harry for, for being there, for witnessing this particular thing. But like, that's the other thing that's happening inside of this chapter is that we're really starting to, I mean, because we, we don't even have that much book left. The, the Golden Trio needs enough information to start tugging on the strings that will start to pull it all yeah. together. So. Oh. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. This is the last thing I feel like that doesn't make sense about Snape's bite is like, why was he trying? Like, okay, so because Harry says he tried to get past that three-headed dog at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. And it's like, that's true. That is where he was going. But in like, why? Why was Snape facing Fluffy? You know, like, what was he doing in there? Like, why? Why was he in a situation to get like bitten at all like because we know Quirrell didn't get past Fluffy. It wasn't like Snape was like, oh man, I got to follow Quirrell down the trap door and get past this dog too. Well, you don't think you know, I mean, I, I, my my interpretation as you ask the question is that Quirrell did get past Fluffy. No, we know we didn't because oh, Hagrid he, hasn't li- hasn't let slip about the music yet. The music. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, he, right. so Quirrell doesn't know how to get past Fluffy. So clearly like He's there to cut Quirrell off, but does he just like go past the door and like wait for him or something? Yeah, like why not, not wait outside the door? There's not a particularly good reason why why Snape would have to face Fluffy in this particular instance. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a, that's a good point. Um, the other kind of irony here uh, is that he is struggling uh, with a multi-faced foe. Yeah, which Quirrell is also a multi-faced. Oh, foe. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. funny. 
Yeah. So kind of like, I mean, the specific, the specific thing is how are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once? It's like, I don't even know. I've never caught that before. And, but like, I almost wonder if that's supposed to be like a little nod, like more than one face, more than one face. Be on the lookout. Okay. Okay. I like it. I also like Harry says, I bet my broomstick. He let that troll in. I'm just like, you'd have lost that bet, sir. Hand yeah. over that broomstick. I know, I know. Although he he's pretty close to the correct assessment. He is. Someone let in the troll yeah. to make a diversion. It just wasn't it wasn't uh, Snape in particular. Um, but yeah, so then anyway, Harry starts to kind of like do the thing that Harry sometimes does, which is almost setting aside, you know, his daily high school existence in exchange for starting to wonder about like the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, like like what else is going on? Because, you know, he's he's basically um He's basically struggling with his his nerves about Quidditch and essentially ends up like being distracted, saying Harry went to bed with his head buzzing with the same question, uh, which is which is like, um, uh, what's he after and what's that dog guarding? So this is this is just like another one of those sort of like innate inside of Harry situations where it's just sort of like, you know, it's like the, like as much as he might might love Quidditch, it's like the thing that can distract him from Quidditch is justice. Right. Yeah. You it's know, like I got to figure out what Snape is up to. Yep. Yep. What is what is going mm-hmm. on? So anyway, the next morning uh, kicks off and we know that uh, Harry is kind of having a very similar uh, morning to what Ron's first um, Quidditch match looks like same as Ron later on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like when Ron is eventually is it in year five? Yeah, it must be year five. Yeah, that he's that Ron's really nervous about Quidditch. It seems like they almost have. I'd be I'd be curious to compare the passages because yeah. I think that they are like darn near the same or at least yeah. the sentiment is very much the same. One of the things I noticed as, as we scroll down here is um, specifically we get a line from Seamus that says Harry, you need your strength. Seekers are always the ones who get clobbered by the other team. And then literally the next paragraph we get a line about Dean uh, that says uh, Ron and Hermione join Neville, Seamus, and Dean, the West Ham fan, up in the top row. Yeah, and I, this is kind of like interesting because I feel like Dean does ultimately come, become like a bigger part of the story, but like it almost feels like at this point in time, like the fact that like we're being reminded, like, oh, do you remember Dean? He's the one who is. He's who the likes, West Ham fan. That's like his defining characteristic. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like I, I tend to think of like, um, and maybe this is like Parvati and Lavender, sort of like are, are like a couplet. Yeah, you know, Seamus and Dean seem like they sort of like are are always representing kind of similar like space inside of like the the, the Gryffindor Tower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, we also get uh, oh, maybe we're not there yet. So I'll, I'll save my next thought there. It says the whole school seemed to be out in the stands. I always think it's funny that whenever there's a Quidditch match that Harry's playing in, it's like the whole school was there. But like at n- zero point ever, is it like you know, do you hear about Harry, Ron, and Hermione going to watch the Hufflepuff Ravenclaw match? I know. You know, like they, they you never hear about them attending non Gryffindor matches. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. It's like there, there's literally no instances I feel like ever where where we get almost anything other than like a score recap. Yeah. 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 Well, flattened by Hufflepuff in that last match. Um, as as we move forward, though, we get the uh, the um, the speech from Oliver Wood. <laughs> yes, I, I totally marked down the exact same thing. It's yes. a good speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great speech. It's it's what does he even end up saying? Like, okay, men and women, this is it, the big one, the one we've been waiting for. <laughs> and then, yeah, Fred and George like basically immediately interrupt him. Yeah, so yeah. Fred uh, Fred says we know Oliver's speech by heart. We were on the team last year. This is one of the things I wrote a little note down about because I, I'm pretty sure Charlie was supposed to be at school last year and was seeker, uh, which means that Oliver possibly was like a underclassman captain of Charlie Weasley, like renowned oh, Quidditch seeker. I think it's been like two years since Charlie was there. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I think okay. we worked that out. Okay. At one point, but like, yeah, you're right. Like it says well, we memorized his, his speech and it's like the whole, the speech is this had they not been interrupted. The entire speech would have been this. Okay, man, this is the big one. The one we've all been waiting for. This is the best team Gryffindor's had in years. We're going to win. I know it. That would have been the whole speech. <laughs> like, no wonder you memorized it. It was one line. Yeah, there was, there, there, there's not a lot to say there. <laughs> that's that's not, like it's not a speech. And it's like to me, I was like, Oliver, be original, man. You're you're using the same one sentence speech every game. Come on, <laughs> right? Maybe maybe you need to maybe to work some a little more gusto. Yeah, into firing up your team there before the big game. I know. Um, oh, that was the other one that I said is is basically this is the best team Gryffindor has had in years. We're gonna win it. Um, and it seems like it was just about the same team 
team. Um, I, I did write down Harry instead of Charlie, so maybe if Charlie had been two years out, that would make sense. But we do also learn that um, Alicia Spinett was a, a last year reserve. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, um, I noticed that, too, because I was like, there's no reserves on the team right now. Right. And it's interesting that it seems like the whoever was the seeker last year must have been a seventh year because it's not like, oh, it's that, you know, you don't find out otherwise who it was. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I that I wrote down at the end of the chapter as well was just that, like, we know that Malfoy takes over as Slytherin uh, seeker in year two, Yeah. Um, which could mean that during Harry's first ever Quidditch match as a first year, he was going up against the seventh year. Oh, it could mean that. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it also would not surprise me if Lucius was just like, I don't care if there's a seeker already. Get him off the team. That's why I say, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's like it's conceivable or it's just the Malfoys just throwing their weight around right. for always because they might do that. Um, on the note of what year everybody is, there's just another one of those like little uh, changes that has been made in the reprints since the original recording because I, I both read and listened to the chapter. Uh, Marcus Flint in the audiobook is referred to as as a sixth year. Um, oh. However, in the book, he's a fifth year. Uh, I think the thing about this is that Marcus Flint is still the Slytherin captain all the way up to Harry's third year. And if yeah. he was a sixth year, that would make him an eighth year. No, he failed out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Had yeah. to redo a year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just kind of sticking around. So um, I love Lee Jordan's commentary of the Quidditch matches. That's always one of my favorite things. Oh, same here. Yep. I wrote that down as well. Yep. I love, but I thought this is very interesting that or not, not even super interesting, but like uh, he says, and the quaffle was taken immediately by Angelina Johnson to Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is and rather attractive too, <laughs> which I love that. It's like clearly it's like it makes it sound like Lee has like a little bit of a crush on Angelina, which is totally great, but I think it's funny though that he doesn't ask her to the Yule Ball later on. That's so true. You know, like I mean, and there's time like Fred basically forgets to do it for a while. Yeah, and he's just you sort know? of like, hey, you want to go? And she's like, yeah, like, I'm yeah, in. I guess so. And I'm like, Lee, where were you, dude? Come on, man. Come on. That was your chance. I know. Yeah. Oh, well. No, I, I do love Lee Jordan. This was another one that I felt like when dad was reading us the books when we were a little kid. I feel like he, I feel like dad had fun with like the, the Lee Jordan oh, yeah. commentary, but there, there's like so many like good moments. And I, and I love the fact that McGonagall is like literally standing there over his shoulder. And I can just imagine hearing McGonagall's voice sort of like distantly echoing through the stadium yeah, through as, the she's, <laughs> as she's like chastising him for everything he keeps saying. Um, but like yeah. she's, she's used to this by now. Yes. Yeah, so she's like, I know. I know what I'm going have to do mm -hmm. then we get the uh, let's see here what do they say about Fred and George Weasley? but he's blocked by a second bludger sent this way by Fred or George we Fred or George Fred or George Weasley can't tell which nice play by the Gryffindor beater anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's all such good stuff that's uh, like their best friend too I know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah whoever yeah which is always one of those things that like because you're watching this through the lens of like team Gryffindor it's always like you sort of love that Lee Jordan is the commentator but like if it was like a Slytherin commentator it would be like the worst yeah you know I'd be like what no Oh, what do you mean you can't tell which one? Somebody needs to put a stop to this. You know, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. No good. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Better Help. Let me tell you what I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really, truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with better help. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. 
With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And and we have a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code MAXPOOL. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Anyway, um, then we we scroll down a little bit um, and we get a uh, change in perspective. This was actually, I, I got halfway through this thought earlier and I changed gears, where we're actually watching the plot unfold from... Um, Hermione, Ron, and Hagrid's uh, like version of things yeah. through the stands. So that's it's like one of those rare instances where like you're not seeing it through Harry's perspective, right? But then what Hagrid says is, "Been watching from me hut, been watching from my hut," said Hagrid, patting a large pair of binoculars around his neck. But it isn't the same as being in the crowd. No sign of the snitch yet, eh? And this is like one of those things where like the game just started. So does he mean like he's been like he's been watching Quidditch from his hut like? in years past or like since 30 seconds ago when the game started he managed to like watch some of the game from his hut yeah where he then blitzed his way (laughs) like what have you been watching only yeah like one thing has happened yeah yeah Yeah, there's like yeah if you if you've been watching from your hut then you you watch them catch the quaffle and then started walking at which point presumably you weren't watching because it's like I even wrote that it said been watching from me hut I wrote how yeah I said <laughs> I said mean? like before today yeah. or yeah <laughs> like whatever Hagrid's in the stands that's the point uh, no need to justify his existence there I don't think yeah no whatsoever yeah although scrolling down I thought oh I just I just thought this was like an interesting thing was um, Harry thinks he sees the golden snitch but he says once he caught a flash of gold but it was just a reflection from one of the Weasley's wristwatches and I was like well it is interesting to me that the Weasley's who are apparently super poor uh, one of them owns a gold wristwatch and is wearing it during a sports match a sports match yeah know. I mean, during a sports ball, who doesn't wear their favorite Rolex during I, sports play? No. Like you're wearing a metal watch in the middle of a game. That seems like it actually. I don't know. This feels like one of those things. Like they tell you not to wear like flashy jewelry while like while like snorkeling and stuff yeah. like that because it can sometimes like signal to like a, like a barracuda or yeah. something that like you know it's like hey that, that's like a shiny fish over there. Um, but it actually feels like wearing a gold watch in particular could be actively distracting in the exact way that it is in this. Scene. It does, yeah. Um, 
Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about that, and not to, I mean, this this is totally just nitpicking. I'm I'm not actually upset about this particular detail, but um, we know that wizards typically are gifted a gold watch um, once they come of age. Yeah, it's like a tradition. Um, so like we we see this happen, and the Weasleys are obviously they have not come of age yet. So I mean, the fact that they have a gold watch, I mean, you could just have like a gold plated watch, like people have gold. For watches, sure, absolutely. You know, you know I, I have very inexpensive, uh, or at the very least, Alice has very inexpensive gold watches at her house that are not made of like proper gold. Right. They're gold colored. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess you could have that. It doesn't feel like in the wizarding world they have gold colored things. It's just like it's gold. Gold is gold. It's, gold is gold. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I that I thought was kind of interesting is that again, go back to Lee Jordan's commentating. It says Chaser Pusey uh, ducks two bludgers, two Weasleys, and Chaser Bell, um, and speeds toward. Wait a moment. Was that the snitch? Uh, and this is like it's like man it does why is Lee Jordan not been on the team if he as the commentator is spotting the snitch I know yeah it's, it's very impressive he's all over it and then I think he says that and then it says the chaser seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch It's like I was just like guys that's no excuse amateur hour over here. I know seriously. you cannot be distracted by the seeker seeing the snitch. You got to keep playing. You, you know, you got to play your, through that. Call yourself future professional athletes. I know exactly. You know who doesn't get distracted is Marcus Flint later on. He's like, hey, something's happening. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to score five goals real quick while no one's looking, which do count, which do count. Yeah, yeah I know. But if nobody's looking, then how how does anybody know that he's scoring goals? <laughs> Madam Hooch as a pair. I was like, as soon as Harry's broom starts bucking, it's like the whole stadium is watching this and I'm like, what is Madam Hooch? doing yeah, clearly yeah. something is wrong with Harry's broom and she's like you know what he's going to sort that out I need to make sure I'm keeping an eye on that quaffle everyone keeping score Flint you got it score 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 and also like apparently is there just no reset between scores I guess I know I had the you exact know? same thought like is he just throwing it through the hoop running to the ground picking it back up running in the air throwing it through the hoop running to the ground picking it back up the thing and then I, Oliver's just sitting there like hmm it's like, come on, Oliver, yeah. man. It's supposed to be the best team we've had in years. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All I, these guys I, just sitting ducks out there. Yeah. I think in general, the, the real point is, is that Harry is never, ever, 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 ever the benefactor of uh, a, an adult being present. Yeah. Like, yeah. it feels like always, like, Malfoy will be, like, picking on him, and somehow Snape will come over and, like, like, you know, punish Harry for it. Yeah. Or if McGonagall is present, then it'll be like she'll only catch it once Harry pulls his wand out. Yeah. And be like, Potter, what are you doing? I know. And it's just like, oh, poor Harry. I know. It's just like, gosh, if anybody had been here 10 seconds sooner, you would have seen mm, he was picking only. on me. Yeah. Seriously, Madam Hooch. Hey, Hagrid, Hagrid of all people who can't even ride brooms is sitting there telling Ron and Hermione that like no one can interfere with the broomstick unless it's dark magic or whatever. Like Hagrid knows enough about brooms that something dark is going on. Madam Hooch, the broom expert and flying instructor and referee of this match does nothing, even though it is super clear, even to Hagrid, that something bad is happening. That, that's the thing about this, too. It's like, I mean, we, we said it like at the beginning of the chapter, but it's like the whole school showed up for this particular thing. Like, yeah, like of all of the occasions to try to attack Harry, it's like you are literally doing it with every available witness, uh, except apparently Dumbledore, except apparently Dumbledore, <laughs> because yeah. He's going to show up to the next match, and they're all like, oh, good thing Dumbledore will be there. Snape will never try to attack Harry now. That's a good which point. Which kind of implies that Dumbledore is not at this one. Right, right. Dumbledore, come on, man. Yeah. How do you miss this? How are you missing this? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah, no, no big deal. No big deal. Um, but yeah, so anyway, as we as we go forward, this was I talked about this a little bit, like I think going back to, to flying lessons, but um, I think in the movie in particular, they show Neville's broom bucking in a very similar capacity to like what happens to Harry's, which I feel like almost like sets up this idea that like, oh, maybe brooms are just like malfunctioning and like Neville's just not very good at flying a broom. So right. like, when it's happening to Harry, it's like, ah, you know, it's his first time. Like maybe he's just struggling up there, but like that doesn't happen in the book. So yeah, you're right. It does seem like the type of thing that should have stood out in a much more obvious way. It does seem like that. Um, thankfully, uh, Hermione is sitting across the stands from the teachers and notices it and decides it is up to her to solve this problem. And I mean, I want to know why Hermione is not running for wizard track because Hermione is sitting in apparently 50 foot stall stands and sees across the pitch Snape mouthing the counter jinx or what she believes is the jinx. Yep. And she runs to the ground from five stories up across the pitch and then 
up five flights of stairs. That, that's ten flights of stairs that's for those keeping track. And I'm like, and this is like just like an eleven year old girl. Like even if she is sprinting, like apparently she doesn't go across the field either. You know, you got to think she goes around. Like yeah, she's yeah. not going to be allowed on the field. Right. Yeah. Most right? likely. Although Madame Hooch isn't paying attention. <laughs> that's to anything, true. She's so. just like Flint is scoring. And <laughs> as I think about it, though, the fact that it only scores five kind of embarrassing. You should be way more than that. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, point. she apparently makes it all the way over down over back up light snape's robes on fire and then it takes an additional 30 seconds for him to notice the 30 seconds 30 seconds yeah i feel like if we were to give you a 30 second moment of silence you you would be like blown away 30 seconds is too long it is way too long now to be fair that it should have stopped the moment that she knocks quirrell over which happens well 30 seconds well before, which means there's like 30 seconds of Snape just continuously undoing the jinx before he notices it. And apparently he finishes doing it and then just happens to be at the same time that he notices that he's on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably a fair point. So yeah. maybe, maybe this is the type of thing where like whatever Quirrell is doing, like you almost imagine um, like that they're that they're both casting like jinx and counter jinx simultaneously and like one sort of like it's kind of like a like a different sort of duel yeah if you will but maybe it's the type of thing where like snape continued to keep his eyes fixed on the air and was continuing to like basically like unwind whatever quarrel had already right um but again as you learn more about snape it does seem like the type of thing that snape just would have been able to like absolutely like dismantle because one of the things that that i will always credit snape for is i do think he's a super powerful wizard except the healing Um, his leg except the healing his leg you know but again we we covered that, you know. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's fluffy. It's fluffy. It's, it's it's that fluffy venom. It's three dog saliva. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's that. It just you know, it really gets <clears throat> into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, let's see here. So then, look, what do we have next? And then Harry swallows the snitch. Yeah. Okay. This was this was the thing that I think stood out to me the most about this entire chapter. Actually, was just simply how quickly following um, Hermione inter- Hermione's interference that. Harry just like it, like in my mind, I, I feel like I have repainted the picture that like Harry still patrols and patrols and like you know him and the Slytherin Seeker like duking it out trying to figure out yeah. who can like get to this like the the snitch the fastest. But it's basically just like his broom is being jinxed, uh, and then the moment that it's over, he goes into a dive and swallows the snitch. Yeah, just like on accident. Like yeah, yeah. The this is one where maybe the movie did it a little bit better, where they pull out of the dive and Harry is broom surfing like a boss, like a boss, and then uh, like leans a little too far forward and accidentally swallows it, even though he was about to grab it. This just sounds like he saw it. Was like, hey, there it is. <laughs> 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 got it. I got. I w- did we win? Excellent. Did re- we win? Excellent re- reenactment. Um, although that being said, Flint is saying he didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it as like a like a counter. Um, it, it's like Flint. You can't possibly think it makes a difference. Yeah, he's holding like, it in his hand now. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, this this would be like if if like a wide receiver in football managed to somehow like. I, I, in fact, I think this has even been like a thing before, where like a quarterback threw the ball and it got stuck in somebody's like face mask. Yeah. You know, it's like. If it didn't hit the ground, I mean, you know, still like in it's, play, it's still in play, yeah, still in play. yeah. I mean, but he got it in his hands eventually, yeah. Um, and then of course the other, the kind of big thing about the fact that Harry catches it with his mouth ends up being uh, super vital to um, the discovery of how to get the hidden message from the snitch uh, from Dumbledore. You know what's great about this is that Dumbledore uses this snitch as a way to make sure that the ministry is unable to open the snitch and recover the stone inside right even if they go and do harry in person and let him physically touch it but you know what dumbledore wasn't even at this match to watch it happen <laughs> he just somebody told him. someone told him he's like i have an idea i have an idea. i know what's gonna work i'll put I'll, it in my will i'll put it in my i'm gonna put it in my diary for a rainy day yeah. it'll be great it'll be great it's good uh, this is going to work out so well because they're going because they'll forget they'll forget the way it played out and then when mm-hmm. they remember it's going to be like oh that's right mm-hmm. and then all the readers will be like oh my gosh I remember that moment yeah anyway so then they they leave uh, the Quidditch pitch where Harry is a hero for the first time doing a great job so proud of him they go to Hagrid's hut where they have a strong uh, cup of tea and basically you start to kind of get like this first um, first major glimpse at how much the staff seems to back Dumbledore's belief that Snape is in fact trustworthy. Yeah. 
Because we also eventually know that, like, even McGonagall, I think, in, in Deathly Hallows says, like, like you know, he, he um, like, Dumbledore always trusted Snape. He said that there was an ironclad reason to do so. Like, which sort of suggests that, like, the teachers are always like, yeah, we, we get where you're coming from, but we can't say that out loud. Right. You know, yeah. like, 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 yeah, we get why you suspect Snape of everything. We do, too. But, like, we trust Dumbledore and Dumbledore trusts Snape. And if so facto, that's that's just going to have to roll with it. Right. Right. So, you know, for for years and years and years, Harry will have this issue with both um, Snape and Malfoy, where he's just always suspecting them. And nobody ever, ever, ever seems to believe him. Uh, which and for the good. most part, he's wrong until he's right. Until he's right. Um, we also get like a bit more of the the big information uh dumps that are going to kind of get us closer towards harry ron and hermione starting to like put the pieces of the the bigger picture puzzle together uh which is learning about fluffy the three-headed dog which of course um hagrid has one off of a greek chappie he met in the pub or bought him bought him of. yeah bought that's him right greek chappie. um this is kind of interesting uh again going back to the film just a little bit because i think in the movie he says it's an irish chap uh, which oh, really? is kind of like like <coughs> specifically a Cerberus is it the right Cerberus Cerberus yeah. yeah it's like a Greek mythological like beast yeah I mean Cerberus is like the, the it it's not like a I don't know if it's like a breed of dog I think it's a specific dog that guards like the gates to the underworld for Hades okay yeah but but anyway I mean the fact that it's Greek in particular is like a notable like attribute of this yeah it's part of Greek mythology yeah but yeah. so the fact that like they changed it to Irish in the film is almost like did you guys miss the reference like it was green right. for a reason yeah that like, was yeah that was yeah. change it anyway yeah oh this is also that's one of those things where sometimes people ask what happens to fluffy after this story because it does seem like fluffy just sort of disappears for no reason yeah um and fluffy is sent back to greece yes yeah. okay that's the explanation that so is the explanation that's where fluffy ends up going yeah. um Anyway, so then there's the the like trying to steal what uh, Hagrid clearly knows more than um, you know probably is strictly speaking safe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you're if you're Dumbledore uh, and he lets leak the bit of information that what they're guarding is between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. Mm-hmm. This is one of those where I like I wish I could read the books for the first time again to see if I would notice that Nicholas Flamel had already been mentioned. I know, like back on the Chocolate Frog card. Because like, but I even even if you remembered it and flipped back and were like, oh, Nicholas Flamel, look, he's right here. They already talked about it. It just says like alchemy. So you sort of also have to know enough about alchemy to do it. Also, if you're really savvy, it's the title of the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe you could have pieced it together from that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, that, that's a good point. Like at this point in time, as you're reading the book, you are now like, I would say, let's see, maybe like 70% of the way through the story and nobody has really mentioned whatever this philosopher's or sorcerer's stone. Yeah is supposed to be right. So it does feel like, you know, any anybody worth their salt should be like, I bet that's what it is. I bet that's what I bet. It's the philosopher's stone. Yeah. 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 I guess. Uh, yeah, that that's uh, it doesn't. It, it feels like maybe isn't the title a little spoilery for figuring out what it is. And it's like, nope, turns out it's not <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they just yep. don't mention it. I love how Hagrid reasons like his reasons for why it can't be Snape. He says Snape's a Hogwarts teacher. He knew nothing of the sort. And it's like what is interesting is that he is is actually correct about Snape, but his reasoning is very incorrect because it is Quirrell and he is a Hogwarts professor and he would do something of the sort. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's like one of those where, but again, I mean, I think this is where Hagrid placed so much trust in Dumbledore where like, you know, Hagrid would just be like, there's no way in the world Dumbledore would ever hire somebody who would do something <coughs> this wrong. Right. Like, and I think that that's just like Hagrid's standing belief. And again, as we go forward, what we'll know is that like Dumbledore does know that Quirrell is not uh, is up to no good. Yeah, and this is this is like where you can start really touching the edges of the the concept of Dumbledore's big plan properly, which is that mm-hmm. like the the first year of Harry schooling in particular, it largely feels like D- Dumbledore knows the prophecy. He pretty much knows what Harry's up against. He's always believed that Voldemort will eventually come back, and that Harry's entry into the Wizarding world is essentially going to be the catalyst that will ultimately. Um, probably spark the return of Voldemort. So it pretty much seems like Dumbledore, as a betting man, as somebody who like you know makes particularly good guesses. Yeah, 
pretty much knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I think even in, in our version of Dumbledore's big play, and we possibly included the belief that like maybe even the reason that like Hagrid in particular knows such specific details or collects the philosopher's stone while he's with Harry, you know, while Harry's like going yeah. to collect his school supplies, like it all comes back to the, to the eventual line or belief on Harry's behalf that like Dumbledore basically thought Harry deserved to have a go at it if he so desired. Right. It's like he wanted him to piece it together. It's like, I can't imagine Dumbledore knew enough to know that Voldemort was living on Quirrell's head because like if Dumbledore knew exactly where Voldemort was, it feels like he just tries to take him out. It, it, does, it seems that way. I mean, that's a good point, but like I think that there's there's something to the tune of like the neither can live while the other survives. Like, you know, like it, it, like one of them has to defeat the other. Effectively. Right. So, I mean, it could be the type of thing where like, you know, Dumbledore's like pretty much when it comes down to it, like it has to be Harry, you know, like right. All, all like what I have to do, what I have to do is prepare Harry. It can't be anybody else. Like I can't, I, I can try to interfere, but the prophecy dictates that I won't, I won't, I won't him. succeed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, if Dumbledore smart enough to put enough faith in the prophecy in this particular way, it's like, it's it's up to him. It has to be Harry. He does tell Harry. I think it might be this book. It might be the next one that there's like, if we can delay him coming back over and over and over and over, maybe he'll never come back or something. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that that might be the diary though. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember for sure or not. But the diary is also the thing that finally tips Dumbledore off to the fact that what Voldemort is using is Horcruxes. Yes, so yeah. That that's probably a piece where like Dumbledore didn't know how uh, up until this moment Voldemort was achieving immortality. Right. How and why he wasn't destroyed in the first place. So right. That is a big tipping point in the overall saga in terms yes. of what Dumbledore knows and in, in the information. So. Anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a fun chapter. It's definitely got like some clunky bits to it, but I do appreciate it's kind of like um, I, I think about like the movie Encanto and how every one of the songs that comes about like helps progress the plot so nicely. This feels like a really good situation where like Harry experiencing the wizarding world in this form of playing Quidditch is also like the plot moves forward at the same time. So yeah. It's not just like a throwaway chapter where it's like, yeah, Harry plays a sport this chapter. Right. It's like, it does a good job of establishing like more world building. And like, this is the pacing in the first book is very fun. Like every chapter has something fun happening. It's like, because there's so much to discover. It's like, oh, Harry's dropped off at the Dursleys. Harry releases a snake. Harry is a wizard. Diagon Alley. Gringotts. You know, now we're on the Hogwarts Express. Now we're at Hogwarts. Now now, hat, yeah, yeah. Now there's the sorting hat. Now there's a troll. You know, it's like there's, there's like now there's a Quidditch match. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, chapter after chapter, there's definitely just like always something going on, which which I think is probably what made people, you know, upon reading just this first book alone, just fall so in love with the series because yeah. it was just sort of like, well, I want more of that. Right. Exactly. But that pretty much brings us to the end of chapter 11, Quidditch. Uh, next up, we'll have The Mirror of Erised, a very oh. important chapter indeed. Um, but Ben, what did you think of the uh, the chapter art here for chapter 11? We have basically just a couple of um, Quidditch players swooping around and some balls flying through the air. I guess all four balls. Yeah, do we have all four? Let's see. I see yeah. a bludger. Well, looks like I mean, there waffle, are four balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yep, there we go. Yeah, I think I think they're all there. Um, no, I love it, though. I mean, just, just Quidditch in general. I, it, it's kind of one of those things, like, Quidditch, I... Sometimes I feel bad like beating up on it a little bit because it does seem like some of the some of the rules, some of the details of it are just so like silly and quirky and weird. But like yeah. at the same rate, it is like one of my favorite parts of like all, oh. all of the wizarding world. Yeah. Like, when when we were writing the like what if Harry was in Slytherin script and whenever we got to a Quidditch match, it was super fun just to write the Quidditch matches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's just sort of like what what all goes what all goes different now? How does it play out? Like, yeah, and like yeah. how will that matter? How can you how can you use the match to help develop the character? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's very fun. Also, I'm kind of looking at the artwork on the quaffle here, and I'm like trying to decide if it's sort of got that weird indented like um, shape to it that it does in the movies in this picture. I think it might. Yeah. It's sort of like, is this because this would sort of be like the very first interpretation of a quaffle, and it does sort of look like it has that like misshapen quality to it. So. Maybe it's like, is this the source of why the quaffle looks like the quaffle? You know what I've always found interesting about the quaffle in particular is that it's just so inherently non-magical. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's just a regular ball. 
Well, or a misshapen ball, I a guess. Mis- a regular misshapen ball. Yeah. Um, the other big question I have, too, is that, like, you know, in this chapter, a couple people take, like, a bludger to the head. It, it makes you wonder a little bit whether or not, like, th- there's anything... Uh, like, I was reading just a little bit behind the scenes that, like, the beater's bats, in particular, actually carry their own enchantments um, that, like, kind of, like, help them maintain durability whilst otherwise smacking cannonballs right you know through the air um i i do wonder i mean like if you were to take a cannonball to the head or, or a bludger to the head like i mean it seems like that would basically take you out yeah like it i mean it seems like it could kill you it does um, seem like that it feels like for for what is effectively high school they should have some sort of like cushioning charm on the bludger like yeah it'll knock you around but like it's, this isn't the pros but i mean that's, that's like my curiosity is basically like you know it's like I, I almost wonder at all like with bludgers if like they are meant to be disruptors and like while it's very easy to imagine how they could be incredibly dangerous like i almost wonder if like they they more like like can speed along and like once they like come in contact with you it's more like shoving you yeah than than like just hitting you via cannonball right like of some kind right um which i mean is never explicitly stated and you know it seems like we have plenty of instances where can or where a bludger does hit somebody and and causes rather significant damage um but like that that's like one of those things where it's like i can't tell if there's like a chance that like wizards are just like more durable i think i it's i don't feel like they're more durable as they are just like more repairable you know maybe that's it yeah yeah, you break your arm it doesn't matter because i just wave my wand in your back like yeah it hurt but like you're good right right well i mean and that that sort of like tracks a little bit we were talking a little bit about like wizard money and how like it seems like maybe coveting gold is is like um not as common within the wizarding world because you can solve a lot of your issues with magic right anyway yeah so it seems like you know just just hearkening in on your like your your skill uh as a wizard is probably just as useful as having like a like a a vast stores of wealth right you know so it's like maybe it's the same thing where it's just sort of like it's like yeah you know like injuries we don't really mind that injuries can happen because we can just fix them right not that big of like if you yeah these aren't like cursed injuries these are like muggle injuries you're enduring right right yeah yeah so you broke your arm it's like no big deal right we, 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 just a just a flick of the wand will be solved. Anyway, do you have a review for us to clo- close out today's episode? I sure do, Ben. This is from Theory List. It says, "Okay, so first of all, I love everything you do. Y'all are awesome. You help me calm down and laugh all the time." Anyway, so my theory is that Harry is a seer. In Chapter Seven of Philosopher's Stone, he has the dream about the turban talking to him, and along with all of his other dreams of things happening, like when Nagini attacks Mister Weasley or when Frank the Gardener gets killed. I think it's possible. Anyway, love your shows. What do you think? And is Harry a seer? Oh, man. I mean, I, I there's no doubt about it that Harry's dreams are extremely telling. Um, but the big thing that I think you have to uh, like like keep in mind, at least, is just simply the fact that um, Harry has like a, a connection to Voldemort's yeah. mind. And I feel like when Voldemort is rising in power, like I, I feel like almost what you're seeing with like the turban dream is like that's a very mist like form version of Voldemort. So like maybe it is a bit more abstract in terms of like how Harry entering into Voldemort's mind looks mm-hmm. you know because because there's less of a mind to enter it's yeah. more it's more like a blurred concept of like like thoughts and elements um whereas like when he's like witnessing like what's happening to um frank bryce is that the gardener yeah. um like literally at this point in time you've got like rudimentary Voldemort who has this like basic body back he's still incredibly weak but like entering into his mind you know you might be able to see what's going on and then as you continue forward and like you know uh like Voldemort discovers that Harry's destroying his horcruxes you know at that stage of the process Harry's not just like seeing what Voldemort is seeing but he's feeling what Voldemort is feeling yeah I mean so, yeah Harry eventually gets to the point where he can just like flit into Voldemort's mind like at will yeah yeah, yeah. but there and so you're I mean Harry certainly has uh, uh, most of the things he's seeing are in real time not like the future Yes, that's yeah. a good point as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he's he's witnessing like what Voldemort is experiencing somewhere. Right. So I don't think Harry is a seer because we also never see him um, see anything in the future that is not related to Voldemort. Right. And most of the things to do with Voldemort are in the present. And they are all basically directly connected to the fact that Harry is a Horcrux and he's typically either seeing 
he's seeing through the vantage point of another Horcrux, whether that's Voldemort or another piece of Voldemort's soul, whether that's Voldemort Prime himself or like through Nagini's eyes when she attacks like Mr. Weasley. Weasley. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Um, and what else I was going to say about this was that basically like Trelawney, we do know eventually is like, I mean, despite the fact that she is teaching the class that should suggest that she should know that she's a seer, it seems like the actual visions she does experience like the the two that like Dumbledore regards as like wow I think that what you witnessed was like an actual true blue prophecy Um, she's not aware of uh, yeah she doesn't even know that they happened yeah which is which is sort of like its own kind of like interesting so like the fact that uh, like to me what that suggests is that like as a seer if it's a skill like it probably must be the case that you almost need to become um, what's the term some people have talked about this before like inside of their dreams where they can become like in the driver's seat and they can like fly around and lucid dreaming yeah uh, is the term for it Mm -hmm. and like people say you can train yourself to have lucid dreams where you can basically like fall asleep and then in the magical world of sleep just do whatever you want whatever you want um, so it almost makes me feel like see to be a seer is like in a similar capacity. Like, yeah, you almost have to realize you're having these, these visions and then also be able to like consciously enter the vision so that you can take something from it. Yeah. Uh, but weirdly, the other thing about Trelawney is that like, while she is unaware of the genuine prophecy she has all of the little predictions she makes along the way are all actually true. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which it's, is annoying because she's like such a fraud but like she's still always right i know yeah it'll be a lot of fun when we get to we get to prisoner of azkaban and we can take all of like her little like one aside comments and be like this This actually does happen yeah like she's she's not like she she is making it up but somehow also it does come to pass right yeah or some of the time some of the time she's not like her she's like yeah neville's gonna break the cups and it's like sure enough neville broke the cups and it's like did you just recognize that neville's really clumsy or did you just genuinely prophesize that <laughs> right that's the question yeah 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 no it's very interesting so uh anyway i'll be I'll, i'm looking forward to uh for for book three when we can really like just completely peel apart every layer of what trelawney yeah. has to say well man we're getting close to the end of book one here because that was chapter 11 right yes yeah, so we're coming up on chapter 12 chapter 12 of, of 17 one of my favorite chapters I'm, oh yeah i'm super excited about this one this it's is a super be, sad one <laughs> it is a super sad one very it's gonna hit you just square in the feels mm-hmm. but the mirror of erised is always one of those that i've just always thought was just like a like truly amazing and i remember remember as a kid uh the the discovery that era said is desire backwards just thinking like oh, oh. it's like there's like just if you saw it in a mirror then it's you could read it yeah, oh yeah. it's so cool <laughs> anyway i love the mirror of era said as an artifact it's a fun one so looking forward to chapter 12 but otherwise until next time we will see you through the gryffindor <laughs>